Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Don't let that anger lead to sin. Don't let that anger lead to sin. If anything, let that anger lead you to your knees before the throne of God and saying, God, I cannot handle this. I, and I don't know about you guys, but man, there's certain things that happen in this world that drive me to that point where it's like, I cannot take any more of this stuff, Lord. I can't handle it. And just to surrender it to Him. If unchecked, your anger will eventually lead you to a place of sin. As such, it's important that you learn to take your anger to Jesus. Pastor James teaches you that though anger itself is not a sin, the things that it may lead you to do may very well be. By placing Jesus as your master and counselor, you'll give yourself a king to whom you can take all your burdens. Get comfortable with speaking to Jesus. Learn to take all things, big or small, to him. Know that he cares for you and can help you to use your anger for his glory. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 34 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Genesis 34 story within your life, but don't give up on the Lord. Let him turn beauty from those ashes. Let him do something incredible. Never let, it just don't let anything distort or, or mess up that, that beautiful thing that God is doing in your life. But now this story, Genesis 34. So we, we, we kind of have the backdrop, it's painted, where I, I hope you can envision where if you look out, looking out from Shechem, the, what you see is Jacob and his family and their tents set up facing Shechem. That's what, the she- that's what all the people from Shechem would see. And that's a massive family. It's a big family. That's a super wealthy family too. That's the ones you want moving into your neighborhood because they're going to bring value to anything that you have going on within the city. So for the, from the world's perspective, yes. We want to be connected with you. From Jacob's perspective, he's like, yeah, I like this place. I think I want to live here. There's danger in that. So let's see what happens. Verse 1 of chapter 34. Now, Dinah, I believe that's how you say her name, um, the daughter of, I've been saying Leah, but I heard Skip Heitzig say Leah, and so now I'm confused. And so whether or not, it doesn't matter. Um, But if you're like... Why does he keep saying Leah? It's Leah. Um, it's because I don't know how to speak. That's why, okay? So uh, mystery solved. Um, and every time I think of Leah, I think of Star Wars. I don't know why, but, you know, that's... So I'm going to keep saying Leah, all right? So put that wherever you want. Um, so the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob. So we already know that, you know, from the genealogy there, that she was the only daughter that was mentioned, and she came from, from Leah, right? And she has brothers, she has a lot of brothers that were born directly to Jacob and Leah, right? So there she is, born to Jacob. She went out to see the daughters of the land, meaning the daughters of Shechem. Now, they've already had dealings with people from Shechem because uh, we just read that. You had um, 
Somebody from Hamar's uh, family, and that's, that's Shechem's dad. He's the main character we're going to see in this story. Whether it was Shechem himself, I tend to believe it probably was. But somebody from that family has already had financial dealings with Jacob because Jacob bought land from these guys. So there's already been a, you know, they've already had a meeting, so to speak. And, and I don't know if, if it was Shechem who went and sold the land to Jacob. I don't know if he saw Dinah. And maybe the thought had already been planted within his mind of, well, that girl looks really good. And I'm really excited to be partnering with this family because of what it could mean for me. I don't know. There's, there's no indication there. But, but here you have this family who has set up camp outside the city. And now you have a teenage daughter who is curious as to how these other teenage daughters live within this world. And she goes out to see the daughters of the land. Now, there's a lot of red flags that pop up even just from that. Jacob, how are you going to let your daughter go off on her own and hang out with people that you don't know? There's a danger there. There's a danger there. He should have said she has brothers. Send some brothers with her. Because culturally in this day, and especially for, for the, the heathen, quote unquote, you know, the pagans in one sense, culturally for them, if there was a young lady walking around unassisted, she's fair game to do with her whatever you want. And there is no penalty. And there is no penalty. That's a dangerous world to live in. That's a dangerous world for you to say, yeah, where's, she, where's Dinah? Oh, she went to go check out the city? Oh, yeah, that's cool. No, that's not okay. That's not okay. So just the absence of Jacob in this initial part is like disturbing. His response to what happens is a million times more disturbing. But as a dad, Jacob, what's going on? What are you doing, buddy? Where are you at? What are you, what are you doing? She goes out. She goes to check out to see how the, the daughters of the land, just to, to see you, maybe find some friends and some companions and, and all that stuff because... Maybe she's tired of the family she lives in, and what a mess the family is that she lives in. Verse 2, and when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. He had his way with her, is what that's saying. Verse 3, here's where it gets strange. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, get me this young woman as a wife. So this is where it's kind of strange, right? Um, He doesn't love her in the purest form of that word. Um, Because if he had, he wouldn't have taken advantage of her. He wouldn't have taken advantage of her. So this love that he speaks of, it's it, it, within the Hebrew and everything. It's not like we, the Greek, you know, where we have these different forms of love, where you know, eros, and that's like a passion kind of a thing. But what we're dealing with here is this love, this attraction that he has for her, has intensified after he has taken advantage of her. He has assaulted her sexually. He has assaulted her. And it's, and it's there where he becomes, he becomes, in one sense, uh, attached to her, and he wants her to be his wife. Number one, 
uh, that's, in, uh, this just, I don't even have to say this, but that, that doesn't communicate love. That if anything, that's, that's a, a definite highlight of lust. And now you are, you're attracted to this, to this young lady who you totally defiled. And now he's like, well, you know what? Let's just, I just need her to be my wife. Not because he's looking to make it right. He just wants her for what she has to offer to him. And that's it. That's it. There's no like honor on this guy's part. I really want to communicate that and make sure that we get this. There is, it seems as though he's maybe trying to do the right thing. He is not trying to do the right thing. There is no honor on his part. None at all. He just had her, enjoyed her, and would like to have more of her. And yeah, she would be his wife, but possibly wife number what? Because again, we're dealing with a culture where, you know, being married to just one wife wasn't exactly the thing. So I don't know what it was like for Shechem in, in, that, in his little community there. If they had multiple wives, most of the cultures around them, I mean, they, they practice that a lot. All I know is this guy, he's bad, he's bad news. He's bad news. You don't, you, don't, you don't treat somebody like that. You don't treat someone like that. This is a sin that has been committed against, against Dinah, but then also against her family. And now this guy is like, well, I can't stop thinking about her, so why don't you go get her for me as a wife? And so the dealings begin. Verse 5, Jacob heard that he had, that Shechem had defiled Dinah, his daughter. So news got back to Jacob of what happened. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. What that saying is, he did nothing. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. There's not even an indication within the language there that he even got upset. Jacob is now acting like Jacob, no longer like Israel. Remember he had that name change in Genesis 32. You'll no longer be Jacob. You'll no longer be the deceiver. You'll no longer be known as the guy who is so focused on himself. You have no cares of other people around you. You'll be Israel, governed by God. Well, how quickly he turns back into Jacob, the man who is so self-absorbed that his daughter is defiled. And you're telling me, like, you're not grabbing the guns and loading them and saying, all right, where's this boy at? Jail? Fine. Start a prison ministry. I don't care because justice will be done. Where's that guy at? Where's that attitude at? Where's that meant? Where's holy indignation? Where's this holy anger that should have been present within his heart? Where's it at? It's absent. It's absent. Now, his boys are going to have another response to this thing. They're going to get angry. They're going to get angry, and they're actually even going to use a, a very select and holy type thing to try to justify or use as an excuse for their anger, which is wrong on their part, okay? But here's his sons. His sons, more specifically, her brothers, are going to hear about this. So he keeps his peace, verse 7. And when the sons of Jacob came in from the field, when they heard it, the men were grieved and very angry. Now, you see that immediately from her brothers. Why dad wasn't grieved and very angry is a mystery. We have no idea. No, I have no idea. And that's one of the things that just 
man, I really try to understand these characters and I want to put myself in their position and see like, well, what in the world is going on that you would be so distracted that this didn't bother you? We have no clue, none. There's no clue at all. But his sons are upset. They're very angry because he, Shechem, had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not be done. And they knew it, and Jacob knew it. And there's even an idea that, you know, this was kind of a common understanding in the world, so to speak, at that time, too, where it's like, you don't take advantage. I don't care if culture says this thing is right. We all know just because culture says, oh, yeah, you could do that, doesn't make it right. And you can argue you want, you know, against all that stuff, but you can't argue against conscience. You can't. And the, the sons are like, dude, everybody knows this is wrong. This is an injustice. This is a crime that just happened. This is a crime that has happened, and judgment should be dished out. And they're right. They're right. Judgment should take place, just not in the form in which they administer it. They're wrong in how they administer it. And, and there are some correlations here, because, because in the day and age in which we live, and we know that this is something that's getting very heated, um, and we've mentioned it before, but, you know, with, with different legislations being passed in, you know, in, in, in different states where, like, when can you terminate the life of a, of a kid? It's like, that's the most absurd reasoning and, and rationale. I, can, I, I just can't even imagine that. Um, when is it okay to kill a kid? When, and that's ultimately what we're talking about here. Is it first trimester or second trimester? It's still a child. It's still a child, okay? Um, and so why are we asking, when is it okay to kill this kid? But that's the world in which we live, and that's going to become pro- more progressive as the days grow darker. Please understand that. What we don't get to do as Christians is we don't get to use that, you know, this blatant sin, and I'll call it a sin because that's what it is. You don't get to use that and go and murder a doctor for doing these procedures. That's wrong. And we've seen those stories in the past where they're maybe blowing up these offices or killing doctors that are doing this thing. You can't use your righteous indignation or your righteous anger to break the law or to sin against God. You can't do that. Our history has even seen that. We have the crusades that took place. And these were things that were supposedly done under the banner of Jesus. You go to Israel and ask them what they think about the crusades, and they will share their opinions with you. And that's why they don't like Christians that much, because they'll bring it back up to you saying, yeah, okay, well, wait a minute. If you're telling me Jesus is like this and Christians are like this, then why did the crusades happen? Why did they come marching through our lands? Why did they do all the stuff that, that they did under the banner of Jesus? And you have to explain to them, hey, just because somebody says they're a Christian doesn't mean that they actually are. And it's a, sad, it's a tragic thing. But we, we ha- we're dealing with this nonstop within our world. And, and this, is, this goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the beginning with Jacob's sons who say, an injustice has happened. We need to do something about it. Yes, you do need to do something about it. But what you do is not okay. You've overstepped the line. You've crossed the boundaries. Shechem should have been held accountable for what he did. Absolutely. But to murder 
a whole village of people, that's crossing the line. That is crossing the line. You're overstepping your bounds here a little bit. And it is a disgraceful thing that happens on Shechem's part, but then also on the son's part. And this is something that's going to stick with Jacob until the day he dies. About, what, probably 15, 20 years later, when he is on his deathbed praying over his sons, he will mention this event to two of his sons, saying, oh, yeah, you remember when you did that? Yeah. Um, man, I don't want to hang out with you guys. Like, this is, on to his deathbed, he, he, he recalls this event. But here's his brothers. They're, they're upset, and they should be upset. They have every right to be upset, every right to be upset. And they should be seeking out justice, absolutely, especially with something like this. And again, I, I just saw a story, I think it was on Friday, that I don't watch the news that much, um, but even like on Baylor campus, I mean, they got some dude roaming around in the campuses and girls are getting, they're getting raped. And it's like, well, this isn't okay. How does this keep happening on our college campuses? This is crazy. And it's an epidemic. And it happens, even though it's not reported, we know that these things happen all the time. And it's like, my goodness, I, I want to go after guys like that. I, that makes me mad. When Laura's talking about last week and, you know, what, what different individuals are, are doing to children, you know, it's like, yeah, I want to go after those individuals. I want to go after those guys because it makes me angry. But don't let that anger lead to sin. Don't let that anger lead to sin. If anything, let that anger lead you to your knees before the throne of God and saying, God, I cannot handle this. I, and I don't know about you guys, but men, there's certain things that happen in this world that drive me to that point where it's like, I cannot take any more of this stuff, Lord. I can't handle it. And just to surrender it to him. Surrender it to him. Because ultimately, and we know from the book of Revelation, ultimately, he is coming back and he will deal with all of these stories and all the perpetrators, and all the stuff, things that we're not even aware of, that he sees every second of every day. He will come back and fix those things. And I think he's got a lot of millstones that he's been carving for certain individuals. You mess with a kid. You can, it's like, get that millstone tied around your neck, plunge into the sea. I think justice is coming, and I just have to learn to trust in him and say, okay, Lord, Man, but how can we help? In the meantime, how can we help? How can we help? Here's the sons. They're going to devise this plan. So they're grieved and they're upset. And in verse 8, it says, but Hamar, the, the dad, the dad and the son are, are more than likely, they're there, present before these guys. Spoke with them saying, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife and make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourself. See, here is a nice little crafty deceit that Satan would love for the children of Israel to get into. Start intermingling with these guys. Then you're going to mess up the line somehow. And there are so many times in, in the journey of Israel where they get just so close to like, I mean, it's so close to where you're thinking, how is this going to work? But the Lord knows how to rescue his people. He knows how to preserve his people. He certainly knows how to make his promises come true. But the dad's expressing this desire. He's like, yeah, you know what? He didn't even say anything. He, there's no mention of like, you know what? My son was wrong. 
you know, I want to apologize to you, Jacob, you know, as fathers, as man to man. I just want to apologize to you for the behavior of my son because I'm sure it's not the first time he's done this. But I want to apologize. Nothing. Nothing. It's immediately into a business type deal. All right, so here's the thing. Kids will be kids. Kids will be kids. Right? That's, that's the logic here. Kids are going to be kids. So, you know, here, here's what we should do. Um, you got a lot of attractive daughters. We have a lot of handsome young men, and we have attractive daughters, and we should just, we should just connect. We should just become one. You, Israel, should become Shechem, is really what the deal is being placed here. That's the arrangement that's being communicated here between these two. Let's make marriages. Let's make this stuff happen. Verse 10, you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourself in it. This is all a big lie. This is all a big lie. It sounds good, but it's all a lie. Verse 11, then Shechem said to her father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me uh, ever so much dowry and gift, and I'll give according to what you say to me, but give me the young woman as a wife. This is essentially what he says. And if some dude comes to me, I got two daughters. If some dude ever comes to me, some young man ever comes to me and says, hey, name your price. Name your price for your daughter. Name your price. Um, that guy's not going to make it that long. He's not going to last long, okay? Because that's now, I'm sorry, but um, that's not how you talk to a dad or brothers about somebody that you quote unquote love. Name your price. What is she, cattle? Is she some commodity to be, to be purchased? Because that's what he's treating her like. Probably there in her presence. How much do you want for her? How much do you want for her? Not like, hey, he does mention dowry, but it's not in the sense of like, you know what? Hey, I have all this stuff I used to be willing to give to you. And because dowries were commonplace, that's not his attitude. His attitude is, how much, he got his checkbook out. He's like, how much do you want for her? I'll pay you whatever you want for her. That's insane. That's insane. Why they didn't jump on that guy right then and there, I don't know why, Right? Why? I, I have no clue. I know Jacob's walking with a limp, but come on, he's probably got like a cane or something. I would have whacked that dude across his head and said, what do you think? How dare you talk to me like that? How dare you talk to me about my daughter like that, who you took advantage of? He's a brave young man. It's a brave young man, that's for sure. But he also is, he's probably grown up in this family where everything's been handed to him. We know he's somewhat of royalty to a certain degree, probably spoiled rotten, and has gotten everything that he's ever asked for. And so this is how he deals with people, not as people, as property, as property. Even his wives, you're just property. You're a means to an end. That's all you are. How much do you want? That's how he's lived his life, and that's how he's dealing with these guys. His sons, after having watched their father deal so deceptively, for so long, have picked up this skill. And here's what they're going to say to their dad. Or not to their dad, but here's the arrangement that they make. Verse 13, the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamar, his father, and spoke deceitfully. Okay, you can interchange that word with Jacob, okay? Because that's what Jacob's name means, all right? So it's, in a sense, it's like they spoke to these guys like their dad, like their dad would or had been known for Because he had defiled Dinah, their sister, and they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. 
There's so much to learn from the pages of Genesis, but sadly, that's all we have time for today on Bread for the Broken. We're so glad you've spent your time with us today and would like to take a moment and let you know how you can hear more of Pastor James Grizzle's teachings. Simply navigate to breadforthebroken.com and click on Teachings to access our archive. Feel free to share the teachings with your friends and family or post them to social media. We love it when we can share the good news of the gospel with anyone and everyone, and you are a part of that. While you're at our website, you'll be able to discover more about the church behind the ministry of Bread for the Broken. Calvary Galveston isn't just another church in our city. We want to be a light for Jesus to all who enter through our doors. We love the Word of God, Jesus, the people of our church, and the people of our city. Do you live in Galveston or are you visiting soon? We'd be honored to meet you in person. Calvary Galveston gathers for Sunday morning services at 10 a.m., Not too early, but in plenty of time to start the week out with worship. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed. Just come as you are. At our service, we search the scriptures for what God wants to teach us, and we spend time reflecting and celebrating Him through worship. Visit breadforthebroken.com for our address and to get more information. We're excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to Pastor James' teaching. Join us again next time to continue through Genesis and find hope and new life in Jesus.